Check, one, two. I haven't been here for so long, I've forgotten that I need a mic to actually talk to you guys. We, we don't have microphones in Maritzburg, we just talk to the people. I'm joking, we do. You guys are like, what is this? Some kind of weird backyard church that you guys have up there. So good to be with you guys, and uh, as Carl said, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Tom Paxson. It's a great privilege for me to be bringing the word this morning. Before we get into it, I just wanted to quickly give a little report back in terms of what's happening in Maritzburg. Just such good things, and uh, we planted the church. We're going into our, we actually just had our third birthday last week. Isn't God amazing? And uh, we are yeah, so grateful, and, um, and we're so grateful to have been sent from this house, and so many of you guys actually sowed into everything that's happening there financially. And in the beginning, we had volunteers coming up from, from this church up to Maritzburg. Some of you guys are here this morning, uh, really to help get the church off the ground. And God, honestly, is just doing the most incredible things, guys. Um, Graydon and Josh, our intern, are just working in pretty much every school in Maritzburg. The doors are open like I can't even explain. Um, it's almost like their full-time job. I have to sometimes say no to them because the schools just want them to do stuff all the time, you know? And, uh, and it's just amazing to see the open doors there. They were at a, a grade 10 camp at this really ungodly school up in Hilton called Hilton College <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we had to send them there because if you guys know anything about Hilton, you'll know that um, they really need Jesus. And so... Um, Great. Was there, I mean, imagine this. So, so Hilton College have this grade 10 Christian compulsory camp. Have you guys ever heard anything like that? You have to go, and it's all about Jesus. And, uh, and so Graydon said it was, it was quite hostile in the beginning, as you can imagine. He was singing worship songs, and he said eventually the guys were mocking him, like sort of singing back to him, but they were actually, they were actually mocking him. But by the last day, 40 boys, 40-something boys gave their lives to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And uh, yeah, they need that. They need more of that there, Rog, so that they don't become farmers like you, thirsty farmers like you were. <laughs> so that, that was, you know, some of the school stuff, just amazing stories. God, God's doing amazing things there. And so we just, we give him all the glory. We had uh, Vani up a couple of weeks ago and we did a, um, a sort of ministry night. We prayed for people. People were delivered from all sorts of things. There's one girl who had lower back pain since she was 12 years old. She's in her 30s now. And we, and we actually prayed for something completely unrelated, and she's been healed from this lower back pain that she's had since she was 12. Isn't that amazing? And so all glory to God. We just, we're so grateful for everything that he's doing. And it's such a joy for me to be here with you guys this morning. We love coming here. It always kind of feels like this is our second home. We're coming back home in some sort of way. Um, and I want to get stuck into the Word because this Beatitude series has been amazing. Have you guys enjoyed it so far? And, and as you guys know, we've been doing it across the campuses. So Beggy is with us in Maritzburg this morning. And it's actually the first time he's in Maritzburg. So we're super grateful to have him up there. Um, we're going to have Cole next week. And then when Hilt gets back, he's going to be up there. And we're kind of going around. So it really is such a great thing. And these non-countercultural statements are so important. And I think one of the main reasons why we really felt God pressing us to do this series at this time is because it feels like we're living at a time where just generally speaking, values have been somewhat lost, if we're honest, across the whole world. And people are not living from a, from a secure place of values anymore. And more and more and more, the ideas of just do whatever you want to, whatever makes you happy, seems to be the common sort of thing that we're seeing in the world. Now, the very interesting thing about these nine Beatitudes is that they all start with the word blessed, and then they, they have some kind of uh, conclusion to them, some kind of reward if you do that thing. And the word blessed is the word makarios in the Greek, which you can translate and actually means happy. 
So blessed is kind of one of those Christianese words, you know, you walk around and say, I'm too blessed to stress, brother, everything's good, you know, blessed and highly favored, hashtag blessed on Instagram, whatever. But we, we don't really know what that means. What does it mean to be blessed? And so a, a slightly better translation maybe in terms of our culture would be happy. And isn't it funny that for so many people, it seems like a common thing is becoming just do whatever makes you happy. Just do whatever makes you happy. But the, the thing that we see about these Beatitudes is that to get happiness, to get the blessing, you actually have to do the opposite sometimes. The opposite of what you think will make you happy. These are very, very challenging statements that Jesus made. And so nine countercultural statements that he said, if you do these things, even though you're not, this is not, maybe not the path that you would take to try and achieve happiness, that's going to be the result. And sometimes doing the difficult thing will actually give you the good thing. And I think out of all nine, today's one is maybe the one that we see that uh, more clearly than, than any of the others because it has this sort of long-standing result in our lives. And so the one we're looking at today um, is blessed are, the, uh, are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. And actually the, the word filled there, you know, if you study it and you break it down, Maybe a better way of, of talking about that word is satisfied. You'll be satisfied. You'll, have a cont- you know, uh, you'll be content in your life. And, ha- and have this thing where you, you might have chased off a whole bunch of other things that you thought would make you happy, but this is the one that actually stays. It's kind of like, I don't know if you guys have ever had this before. This happens to me all the time. And I don't know maybe it's an age thing, but as I get older, I think it's happening more. So maybe the bullies, you can just uh, agree with me or disagree with me here. But so, sometimes you get super hungry. That's a normal thing. I think everybody gets hungry, especially the young guy, especially Graydon. Graydon eats more than anybody that I've ever met in my entire life. You don't know where he puts it, but he eats. And Ed does as well. It's pretty impressive. But I get super hungry, then I go to the fridge, and I don't know what I want to eat. Anybody ever get that before? You go there, you open up the fridge, you're like, there's options. It's not to say there's no options, but you just don't actually know what you feel like. Anybody ever had that before? It usually happens at about like half past eight, nine o'clock. Amen? And all the, all the dietitians are like, that is the worst time to eat. You know, that's pretty much exactly how you get fat. You eat at that time and then you go and sleep. But you walk up to the fridge and you open up the fridge and you're just like, I'm hungry, but there's nothing in here that I actually want. There's nothing in here that seems to... Be the thing that's going to satisfy the craving that I have. So I'm dedicating this message to all the people here today who have looked into the refrigerator of life and found that the things that they're trying to eat from, it just got to this place of being dissatisfied, of, of, of getting to a place where you're hungry, you have a craving, but nothing's actually satisfying that craving. It's almost a torture, isn't it? And so... If there's one example of the Bible of somebody who went on this journey that really just pretty much tried every single thing in life to fill himself up, it was King Solomon. There's probably no one else in the, in the whole Bible who, who, that we see who literally tried everything that this life has to offer. It actually says that at the time, he, in the Bible times, he was the wealthiest person that lived. He could pretty much have whatever he wanted. It also says that he was the wisest man who ever lived. This guy had knowledge. He, had, he pretty much had everything. And yet he writes this miserable book. I don't know if you guys have ever read it before, but it's called Ecclesiastes. And it really is miserable. It's one of the most miserable books in the Bible. You read it and you're just like, Jesus, this is depressing. And he goes, he goes on the search 
for the, in the refrigerator of life to say, I'm looking for something. I've got a craving for something, and I don't know what it is. There's a band called U2. Um, you guys might have heard it before, one of the biggest bands in the world. If you haven't, then I don't know where you've been, but there's this band called U2. And um, they wrote this song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And um, if you Google U2, you'll see that the band is worth 1.8 billion dollars, okay? That's a lot of money, 1.8 billion dollars. Bono himself, the lead singer, is worth 700 million dollars. Can you guys get your head around those figures? Thank you. It actually, everything works in Maritzburg. I don't know if that's, um, <laughs> I'm joking, a lot of the time it doesn't. So, so it's Bono worth $700 million, and yet he, he write, they write this song called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. I think there's a lot of people living in that space. So going back to Solomon, the, the first thing he does, and, and really uh, Ecclesiastes is this, is, is this 12 chapter journey he goes on. The first thing that he does, is he says, Maybe this craving that I have for life, maybe what ultimately is going to satisfy in this life is to get knowledge. And so he, he, he kind of starts studying, and, and you know, in, in, in today's context, it would be like he, he acquires degrees and master's degrees, and like Mark, you know, it seems like Mark is studying always, you know, and I don't know if that's just because it takes him eight years to do a, a master's, or Jake, not quite that long. Or if, uh, or if he just wants to keep studying, but that's like Solomon. And, uh, and, and, and so he starts studying and studying and learning all this kind of stuff. And then he says this in, in uh, Ecclesiastes 1.18, he says, for with much wisdom comes much sorrow. Isn't that cool? So everything that I've learned, all the studying that I've done comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. The more you know, the more depressed you are. It's cool. Then in chapter 12, verse 12, he says, uh, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Amen, students, who's writing finals at the, or trials at the moment are coming up? It wearies the body. Then he says, okay, well, maybe it's my career. Maybe, maybe if I, I develop a career and I do, I do really well, and then I just basically enjoy the pleasures of life and, become, and just, just allow myself to do what, whatever I want, just get everything that this life has to offer. And remember, this was a guy who could. He says, I, de I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, so my career and everything that I did. And this was the reward for all my toil. Yet, when I surveyed all my hands had done and what I toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless. I told you this, guy, this was a depressing book, guys. A chasing off the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Just meaningless. Worked so hard for all this stuff. Denied myself nothing. Just allowed myself to do whatever I wanted to do. But it was all meaningless. Then he says, okay, well, maybe if I work harder and I become the CEO of my company and I, I kind of amass the respect and, and popularity that, that, that I should have, maybe that's the answer. And he becomes this insane workaholic. But it actually says that he started to dread Mondays. Some of you guys are, know exactly what I'm talking about. And he, he says this, so I hated life. 
because of the work that is done under the sun, was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. It's all meaningless anyway. What is this all for? Then he says, okay, well, maybe money's the answer. So he starts investing and he starts to make more money. And this guy's so clever and he's so wealthy that he, that he starts accumulating a massive amount of wealth and he actually starts collecting art as well. And it was so splendid that, that the Queen of Sheba and others would come from distant lands to come and see this incredible empire that Solomon had. Guys, we, we, I don't think we fully understand the kind of empire that Solomon built. And so he, he puts us all together, but then he says, whoever loves money never has enough. Never. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. As your goods increase, there's trouble that comes with that. You have to insure them. You have to put a camera on it. You have to look after the stuff. You've got something to lose now. You've got something to protect. What does it all mean? And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? You just sit and look at your art. So What? And what about popularity? Maybe if I become the most popular person, and, you know, and Solomon was never, ever alone. He had servants all around him, all of these people. He was surrounded by people that looked to him for wisdom, for advice. He really became this incredible leader. And yet, as he says this about himself. He says that there was this man, and he's talking, all about, he's talking about himself. There was a man all alone, surrounded by people, but he's lonely. He had neither son nor brother, there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So then he goes on to the thing that I, that I, I think a lot of people would think maybe this is, was a bad move, maybe some people think it's a good move, and he decided, well, maybe one woman in song is the answer. If I get a lot of women, then maybe that'll make me happy. Okay, so the brother had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's some woman, okay? Somebody asked a, a, a Bible college professor once, what, you know, and he was looking for a theological answer, why did he have 700 wives? And he said, well, in the hopes that when he woke up one morning, one of them wouldn't be angry or upset. <laughs> there was someone else who said that, not us. We don't preach that. We don't preach that in this church. So that too was just something that was completely meaningless. You just couldn't find anything in that. And you skip to the end of the chapter, which really, guys, here's the thing. Here's the key here today. It's the, it's, it should be the end chapter of our lives. This should be a shortcut for us to say, we don't have to go through these things that, that these guys in the Bible went through, people like Solomon, to show us how this whole story ends, to show us, to show us what it means at, at the end of all this. And so he says this, the last and final word is this, fear God. Now, that word fear God in today's context, not an easy one to really talk about because a lot of people are scared of God and they think that, you know, being scared of God, God's gonna smite me at any moment is, is the way that, you know, is what Solomon's talking about here. And it's actually not. In fact, we don't have time to go into it today. But when Jesus was tempted in, uh, uh, before he started his ministry in the desert and, uh, and the devil came to him, he responded with the, with the word three times. And the one time he responds, he said, instead of saying fear God, he actually said he changed the word there from the scripture in the Old Testament to, this is Jesus talking, to worship God. 
And so this is actually fascinating to me because Jesus actually gave us commentary on the Bible, which is pretty amazing. And he says that that word fear, in, in, in today's context, what we actually should be talking about is worship. That there's this awe and reverence and this understanding of the enormity and the, and the majesty, we sang about it just now, but the holiness of God that really, if you want to know what the, what, what's going to satisfy, if you want to know what the end of this whole thing looks like, start there. That's the answer. Fear God. Worship God. Do what he tells you. And that's it. Eventually, God will bring everything that we do out into the open and judge it according to his hidden intent, whether good or evil. Love him and do what he says. That's it. You want to know how to live a life that's going to shortcut this whole process of chasing after so many things? And the saddest thing for me, guys, as a pastor, is that when you see people, really, I think so many people live their entire lives never, ever getting to this place. Never getting to the place where they realize that everything in this world ultimately, it's not to say that God hasn't given us everything to richly enjoy, but if we're looking for satisfaction, if we're looking for contentment, if we're looking for peace, if we're looking for joy to this, the things that this world has to offer, we're never ever going to get there. Love God, do what he says. Amen? Love God, do what he says. For me, I know that um, spending time with Jesus has become the best thing that I do. The best thing that I do. Uh, I'm not there yet. I've got a long way to go. I grew up in the church. I grew up in the Methodist church here in Kloof. Uh, we lived literally down the road from the Methodist church. So I am very old in church years. Very, very old. I've been to more church services, kids' church camps, than you could ever, anybody could ever want to go to. Okay? Like you can't imagine. And yet so many of the, the, the practices and things that I did for so long, I did them just because that's what we did out of a place of religion. And being disciplined and spending time with God and coming to church, it's so good. But ultimately, guys, we can never ever do these things out of a rigid, structured, forced way. The times we spend with Jesus should become the sweetest, sweetest times in our life. The time that we get to stand here and worship shouldn't be, oh, you know, Flip, how long am Mark and them going to sing for? Flip, can we get this over and done with? No, this should be something that we say. I mean, I was standing here this morning. I felt like, geez, God, if we just cancel the sermon today, I'd be fine with that. Just spend time worshiping God because there's something in us that is completely dissatisfied with everything other than the things of God. We've been built like that. Augustine said it like this, and actually we, we landed up turning this into a song on Lauren's EP said this, he said, thou has formed us for thyself. Our hearts are restless. We're restless. We're dissatisfied till they find rest in thee. We're made for God. And so how do we get there? And what are the things that stop us from really getting everything that God has for us. I said earlier, for me as a pastor, I think the most frustrating thing is when you know how awesome it is to experience the things of God, to live in the things of God, to have the things of God fill your life and be rooted and, 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 and grounded on his love and everything that he is. When you know that there's all this good stuff for people and yet they don't take it, it's so frustrating. It's the thing that we pray for, I think more than anything else for people, is just God, would they experience everything that you has, have to offer for them? So the question is, why don't we? Why don't we? Why, don't we? why do we sit on the fence? Why do we, on the things of God, when, when we know God says certain things, why are we so hesitant to jump into them? 
Well, I think one of the reasons is because we're filling up on things other than God that really keep us trapped in this place of being kind of full but dissatisfied. I don't know if any of you guys have ever um, had this before, and, and maybe you know, now that we've got kids, we start seeing it. In fact, this happened to our kids last night, so, so I know exactly what I'm talking about here. But when mom is making supper, okay, and sometimes supper's taking a little bit longer than it should be, so then what happens? You start getting hungry. Then what do you eat? Not supper. <laughs> Things that are, that are not good for you. Uh, maybe maybe you, you didn't know that your, your mom had cooked you supper and you're on the way home from, from uh, studying or whatever it is and, and, and you stop off because you're starving. So you're like, okay, I'll just have a little bit of a snack before I get home because I know supper you know, is going to take a little while and I, I, I'm going to die if I don't eat something. And so what do you do? You pull into the garage where you're going to find very healthy food there <laughs> and you buy a packet of chips and then you buy a pie and then you buy chocolate. Amen, somebody? You guys know, you know exactly who I'm talking about here. You know who you are. And, you, and, you, and your car becomes a mess. You know. By the way, how do you eat a pie without making a huge mess? Has anybody ever solved that? It's one of life's great mysteries. If somebody knows the answer to it, please come and find me afterwards. I'd love to know. But you make this huge mess in your car and you've got, you get home and you know, you've got food kind of on the side of your mouth and stuck to your beard and and you get there and you've eaten all this food, but really it's, it's, it's really trash. And guess what? Your mom has prepared the best meal, the healthiest meal, something that is really going to be good for you, something that is ultimately going to satisfy you, but you have eaten. I think so many people don't experience everything that God has to offer because we don't realize we're filling up on some things that are a cheap imitation of what God really has for us. And we wonder why we're dissatisfied. We wonder why we have this feeling like, ah, I ate, I'm full, but I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. And this is exactly what we, we hear about. Um, this is exactly what we hear about Moses. Because it actually says this about Moses in, in, in Hebrews 11, verse 25. It says that Moses chose to be mistreated along with the, with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. There were two meals in front of Moses, in front of him. One, he could either, he could either fill up on the really good things of this life and, and, and living in Egypt and being this, you know, the, the son of Pharaoh and in the household and all these great things that this world had to offer, but he chose instead to say, I'm not gonna go along with something that I know is fleeting. I know that if I, if I continue that kind of lifestyle, it's gonna be... Maybe fill me up right now, but long term, it's just fleeting. Somehow he got to that place where he realized it was better to suffer, it was better to wait and be a little bit hungry and ultimately be satisfied by the right thing than fill up on the wrong thing. Number one, we fill up on the wrong things. And sin, unfortunately, has this way of doing that to us. The other day, um, I had the kids for, for we got three kids, and I, and I uh, gave Eileen a break because she needs it every now and then. It looked like she really needed it, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm talking about when your wife just needs a break. And so I took the kids out, and I took them for the whole day. And we did all sorts of things. We went around, and the whole time they were, you know, they were eating like, you know, okay food, I suppose. But, you know, then we, we had some ice creams at the garage. And I usually, I, I usually don't really like sweets, like junk food and all that kind of stuff, but I walked past these Krispy Kreme donuts. Amen, someone? 
glory to God in the highest. And Krispy Kreme, they, they really are amazing, are they not? And, and, and so there were three Krispy Kreme donuts. So my intention was, okay, let me buy them and I'll eat one and I'll, I'll take two home, maybe have one later or give, give them to Eileen, you know? So I ate the one and it actually made me feel a little bit sick, but it was really tasty. And, you know, it's also a surprise because when, they have all these flavors, so you're not sure, like, you know, they have three different kinds. You guys know what I'm talking about here? Amen? So, so, so I'm eating this stuff, and it's a surprise because when you bite on the inside, you don't know what's going to be on the inside. That's like, you know, the hidden glory of God within the donut. And, and I bit it, and it's like it's caramel inside, or there's like some kind of chocolate thing inside. It's really amazing. So I ate the one, and I, like, I must taste the second one, you know, just see what it tastes like. So I finished that one, and then I was like, no, but the third one, I must try that as well. I mean, eat that one too. And so I finished that one, then I had to go and buy another three so that I could bring, actually bring them home to my wife because then all the work of taking the kids out for the day would have been undone if I'd come home with no donuts and told her that I'd had donuts. Do you know what I mean? So, so this is kind of how sin is, guys. It has this incredible way of enticing us and putting us in, but totally making us feel sick. And we know that what we're doing here, this is not right. Yet it tastes good, it looks good, there's a surprise on the inside, and it makes us feel sick in the end. And that's exactly what happens. And then when God is, when, when we come to church, we wonder why we're coming here and we're not hungry enough for Him. When, he's, when there's a meal every day, every day, God is ready to put a meal in front of us and say, eat this, this will truly satisfy you. The second reason, I think, for so many people is that maybe you've made a decision to willingly reject some of the things of God. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, you're in church this morning, which is amazing. I don't know if you've been dragged or not. Maybe you have been. But may, may, maybe you've rejected some of the things of God. Maybe you heard about baptism and you're just like, Ma, I'm, I'm all right. I'm fine. I'm good. I don't need to be baptized. Maybe, maybe you heard about the Holy Spirit. You're like, nah, mm, mm, I don't know about that. And you've willingly rejected some of the things that God has said that we should do that is ultimately going to satisfy us. Maybe truly worshiping God. Not just giving Him lip service, but really standing in worship and allowing yourself to worship the King of Kings. Maybe you're just on the fence and you, you, you've rejected God. Why? Why would we do that? And I think the reason for that is that we don't truly know how good God is and how good the things that He has for us really are. How good this meal actually is. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is such a good God. He is such a good Father. He does not know how to give us anything other than something that is absolutely awesome, guys. And so many people have been tricked or been lied to, and you don't realize how good God really is, how good the things of God really are. There is nothing spooky about God. There is nothing to be scared of. There is nothing that we should hold, be, hold us back and say, oh, that thing I'm not so sure about. We should be the kind of people that say, if God is doing it, I'm in it, I'm jumping in head first because whatever he does is amazing. Whatever he does is awesome. I'm not gonna let anything hold me back from getting everything that he is. A few years ago, when I met my amazing wife, she really liked sushi. Sushi. Okay. Who likes sushi? Who doesn't like sushi? Put up your hand if you like. If you don't like sushi, put up your hand nice and high. Okay. And who, who does like sushi? These people are passionate. Look at them. They're passionate. 
So I never had sushi before, but when somebody explains sushi to me, like, so I was like, just explain this to me. What is it? Okay, so it's, it's like, it's, it's raw fish. Go on. Yeah, raw fish with some, ri- you know, some rice and some avo, which is the devil's fruit. So I'm like, okay. And, and it's wrapped in seaweed. Sounds really good, doesn't it? Like weeds that grow in the sea. And we're going to eat that for supper tonight. I was like, there is no... T-. And then they take this salty, salty sauce that literally makes your eyes, you know, go, go crossways when you put that stuff in your mouth. And they dip it in that thing. You know what I'm talking about here, Rog? Oh, then there's this little green thing that's called wasabi. That stuff will clear out your sinuses for three years if you just <laughs> go near it. So somebody's like telling me about that. I'm like, okay, and you want me to eat this? Like, oh, what are we talking about here? Until one day that I think it was Dan Hall, who's, who's in the studio, discovered these, and, and some of the guys, the, the legacy people around here, will, you'll, you'll be, I'm preaching to you right now, discovered that these magazines had these vouchers in them. Do you remember this, Ed? What was it, like a Woolworth magazine or something like that? Had these vouchers in them for this place in, in, at, at Gateway called, was it Savruga? was Savruga, right? This restaurant that opened. And I don't know, what, I can't remember what it was, but it was like an insane deal. Like, it was like ridiculous. Like you get this a huge amount of free food with these vouchers. So of course these guys went, Dan went being the entrepreneur that he is, and he bought all of them in Woolworths, all these magazines, because inside the magazines were these vouchers. <laughs> so somehow we had like this endless supply of meals all of a sudden. So we go there and the guy said to me, we need to have the sushi. I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. You keep your sushi. I'll have my steak. It's all good. And they said, but no, wait, hang on. There's this thing called tuna crunch, which is cooked sushi. So I was like, okay, I can try that. So I, I, I had some tuna crunch, and I dipped it in the wasabi and the sauce. And I was like, actually, this is quite good. The next thing that I know, I'm starting to try different parts of the sushi. I'm like, actually, this has got a lot of flavor. Sounds terrible, but it's actually incredible. Whereas nowadays, I absolutely love sushi. So I'm with all the sushi people here. It is the best meal. I will meet you guys at Tommy Sushi after the service today, all my people. It's amazing. But I just, just didn't understand how good this stuff was. And now I love it. And I think this is how it is for Christianity with so many people. They don't realize that God can't offer you anything other than something that is so good. So what we've been telling our people in Maritzburg, and we've we stolen this phrase from another church, but we, we just love it. We say, Give God a year of your life. Give God one year of your life. We talk about doing a year of your life intern program here, but it doesn't matter what age you are. Give God one year, but do this. Don't go half-hearted. Whatever's happening, say, I'm going all in. If we're tithing, I'm tithing. If we're getting baptized, I'm getting baptized. If, if, if If we're praying to be full of the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna do that. Whatever it is, I'm gonna be at church every Sunday. I'm gonna worship God with everything that I have. Give God one year of your life and see what happens when you go all in with him. Amen, someone? See how radically your life changes. And then we give this guarantee. I'm not gonna do it yet today because um, this is for Hilton to say, not me. But I'll say the guys in Maritzburg. And if at the end of the year, your life hasn't been radically changed, I will find another church with you and we'll go and find it. That's a pretty good guarantee. 
Because God does not know how to offer anything other than what can truly satisfy us. So many people are so dissatisfied. So many people are looking for the solutions of life in a whole bunch of places that we will never, ever get to. Let's not be the people that just repeat history like Solomon did and try every single avenue and think, well, maybe that'll be the thing that satisfies me. Let's go straight to the end. Let's cut straight to the shortcut. If you this morning had to put together a list of things that you've tried in your life that you know have not satisfied, what would that list look like? What would it be? Because Jesus gives us the answer. It's called righteousness. It's called hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I want to close today by talking about that word righteousness. What does it mean? Because it, it's a word that a lot of people don't really understand. Kind of like, well, uh, I don't know. It sounds like I have to become some kind of like Himalayan monk or something. No, no, no. That's not what righteousness is. It's not what holiness is. There's two parts to the word righteous. The first part is being in right standing with God. You're in right standing with God. So many people think that God is angry. He's not. The wrath of God has been satisfied in His Son, Jesus Christ. He has brought us in to a relationship with Him. So many people are living under a shroud of guilt and shame and just so many things that, that separate them from God that, guys, honestly, is just a lie from the enemy. There is nothing you can do to be made right with God. Jesus has already satisfied the wrath of God on the cross. He destroyed every barrier that could ever separate you from God, and he brought you close to him. Right standing with God. That's where you've got to start every day. That's where you've got to start every service. That's where you've got to start every moment with God. There's nothing I can do to deserve your love. There is nothing I can do. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did. I'm now close to you. I'm in right standing with God. But there's a second part to it, and that's right living in God. Right standing with God, and then He always, always moves us. When we start the journey with Him, and when we start our, our, our posture with Him as one being that I'm brought close to Him, He always turns our, our attention to right, right living with God, living life His way. Why? Because He's a good Father. And He only wants the best for us. And He only wants the best for our families. And He only wants the best for the people in our workplace and the people around us. And He knows that any kind of lifestyle other than the lifestyle of the one that He's called us to live is going to cause us pain. It's going to leave us empty and it's going to leave us frustrated and dissatisfied. So he starts to turn our attention when we understand that we have right standing to right living. He starts to put his finger on things in our lives. We're living at a time where, and we're seeing this a lot, guys. We're seeing this a lot. I spoke about schools ministry. Up, up. We're seeing this a lot in schools. People are talking about my truth. I'm just going to live my truth. There is only one truth. And his name is Jesus. And everything that he says goes. Love Jesus, do what he says. Just accept it. He doesn't know how to offer anything other than the best thing for your life. So how do you get truly satisfied? How do you get truly filled? Knowing that you're in right standing with him and knowing that if he asks you to do something, it doesn't need to make sense. It doesn't need to tickle your emotions. You don't need to feel it. You just 
do it. And it always, always, always leads to a deep satisfaction that nothing in this world can compare to. So that when we get to the end of our lives, we can look back and go, I've done what you've called me to do. I finished the race, I fought the fight. Everything that you've asked of me, I've done. There is no better way to live this life than that way. I'm gonna end off with this quick story. And I, I always like ending off with the story, but I thought, let me, let me take one straight out of the Bible here. There's this woman who encounters Jesus at a well in John 4. And she sits with him and she's quite surprised that he starts talking to her because she is a woman and she's a Samaritan woman. And in terms of the culture and the context of the day, that would never happen that a Jewish man would talk to this woman. And they have this exchange and he asks her for some water and then she says, well, if you knew who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you water that would never ever, you would never ever thirst again if you drank from the water that I gave you. And she's like, she's, well, I want that. I want that. I want this water that is ultimately gonna satisfy me. So I keep coming back to this well day after day after day after day after day. And then she says this, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. He's gonna come. At some point, he's gonna come. And then everything that I need to know, all of these things will be answered and they'll be fulfilled. So Jesus ends the discussion by saying this. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. I'm here. So let me say this to you today. You don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to look any further. Maybe you're like that Samaritan woman. She tried everything. She tried everything this world had to offer. Five husbands, the one that she was currently with was not her husband. Tried, 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 tried. That was her fridge. Let me end today by saying, you don't have to wait any longer, you don't have to look any further. His name is Jesus. He's already come. He's put us in right standing with our God and everything that he has for us from here on out is the best meal that you could ever experience in this life. Something that'll truly satisfy, keep you full. Let's pray.